that came on our, our announcement system said, I'm going to give you guys a break, so enjoy your day. And then a couple minutes later, we started getting uh, what we call emergency exit messages. Uh, our radio chief came down on the first one, and he said, well, it looks like they're just joking around with us. We had another one come across, and um, he came down, and you could see the difference in his face, and he was he was very concerned, and he told us, he said, this, guys, this is for real. And I would say from that, that time forward, everything changed for us. Um, our posture changed. We, we were told to get out to sea, get underwater as fast as possible. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure, friend, to have you stop by. Today we want to welcome Pastor Eddie Barlow of the Boulevard Baptist Church in South Haven, Mississippi. Yes, sir. Pastor Eddie, welcome here on the Bot Radio Network. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Hey, when I say Boulevard Baptist in South Haven, something doesn't sound totally right in the sense that I remember Boulevard Baptist used to be in the city of Memphis. Is that correct? Or that, is, that is true. So yes, we're sir. talking about the same church. Yes, sir. It's, uh, it's moved twice and it's landed down in South Haven. <laughs> so uh, we're South very... Haven's home now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, it's been such a long time. I remember, and it's been, well, it's been years ago on this program, one of the pastors from Boulevard when it was here in Memphis okay. had been on the show. And I can't tell you who that is because it's been so long ago. It's probably been 30 years ago or not, maybe not that quite long ago, but about 30 years ago. It goes way back. Yeah, I believe um, uh, Boulevard came down to South Haven roughly 1997, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, it would have been about 30 years ago. Yeah, that's incredible. Originally, you are from Virginia. But that's where you were born. Yes, sir. But spent some time in Georgia. Warner Robins, is that right? Well, it's a little town called Eastman. My dad is from Eastman, but you know he was in the Navy full time, so uh, he felt best that we stay in one location while he traveled to different bases, and it was better for him. It was better for us, and yeah. uh, and we're very thankful. So a little town called Eastman, Georgia. And something must have been contagious about that naval life because yes, you yourself retired honorably for 26 years, 26 years. in the Navy. And you spent a lot of time on a submarine. Yes, sir. Um, I would say 13 years of that time was on active duty submarines. And I did some calculations. I believe seven years of my life is spent underneath the water. Oh, my goodness. So right. can you be claustrophobic and live in a submarine? No, you cannot. <laughs> you cannot. You cannot. I mean, did you meet sailors that came on that had to deal with that? I mean, that confinement? Very few. Uh, yeah. Usually uh, they, they got weeded out before they uh, came on board. So... How do you qualify? I know as you move into basic training and you look for positions, how does someone qualify to be attached to a submarine unit? Well, first of all, you have to volunteer. And okay. so you have to volunteer to be uh, go to submarine duty. When I went in, they told me, do you have a heartbeat? Can you breathe? <laughs> I was qualified. <laughs> you were qualified. So there was a lot more to it, but that was a running joke. Uh, you know, that's usually it. There's no really big anything disqualifies you. You know, as long as you volunteer, you, you'd come down and uh, you get attached to a submarine. You have to do qualifications. You have to qualify in submarines. You have usually on a list side, you have about a year to finish that up. Now, to naval personnel, do they have to be able to swim? Yes, you have to be able to swim, <laughs> but it's, it's a, there's, a, uh, there's a basic limit that you have to do. And as long as you can meet the basics, that's all that matters. You're not worried about seal swimming or anything like that. <laughs> no, sir. That wasn't me. That, the water we operated in, uh, I was never worried about it. If we could just stop a second, Eddie, and yes, remember, as we do this show, we're close to the anniversary date of 9-11. Yes, sir. And we were talking prior to turning these microphones on, and you said, I know exactly where I was on 9-11. Yes, sir. We were, um, I was on the USS Kentucky, and we pulled into Cocoa Beach, Florida, uh, Port Canaveral, and we were supposed to leave on the 10th, but we had a problem, uh, so we didn't get underway till the 11th. Uh, so we headed out that morning. 
um, heading out to sea. Our captain came on our, our announcement system, said, I'm going to give you guys some, a break, so enjoy your day. And then a couple minutes later, we started getting uh, what we call emergency action messages. Uh, our radio chief came down on the first one. And he said, well, it looks like they're just joking around with us. We had another one come across, and um, he came down. And you could see the difference in his face, and he was he was very concerned. And he told us, he said, this, guys, this is for real. And I would say from that, that time forward, everything changed for us. Um, yeah. Our posture changed. We, we were told to get out to sea, get underwater as fast as possible. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what we, the our submarine crew, all we knew was uh, the messages that we were getting. And we our alert status changed. You know, honestly, I, I thought we were, seriously thought we were going to launch a nuclear weapon. Nobody knew what was going on. We were I would say nervous is, is just an understatement. Eddie, a couple of things you said there. Uh, you said your posture changed. And I think the posture of the United States of America changed too when you were seeing flags flying like you hadn't seen before. You know, you saw churches being filled, yes, you sir. know. And, and you also said because of the alert, there was that alert that caused this to take place. And the alert's never gone away. No, sir. You know, but we've become so complacent. What's happened to America? Well, it's like anything else. Um, let me give you an example. I actually went to Iraq. Crazy that a submarine guy would go to Iraq in 2007 to the Fallujah Triangle. That's when the surge happened when President Bush ordered the surge. And they would send Navy guys over to offset the uh, Army guys, Marine guys, so they could go out to the field. We stayed on base. And one of the things they told us when we went over, don't become complacent. You know, because complacency kills. And the first couple of weeks, you know, I was when I was in Iraq, I was nervous. But after about a month, you know, I, complacency kicked in, and it's it was just normal. And I think that's where we are now. That we just don't believe this will ever happen again, and complacency will kill you. Yeah. Growing up in Georgia, when was it that you first heard the message of Jesus Christ, and when did it impact your life? I would say. You know, I was in church my whole life. I would probably say my younger years, I, I believed. I never, never walked the aisle, per se. I always believed in my heart, you know. Uh, probably when I was 21, well, 21, I was 21, I, I finally walked the aisle, went and talked to the pastor, and um, I made a public confession then. Uh, but through my younger years, I always believed in Jesus, um, and I'm very fortunate for that. I'm very thankful he gave me the opportunity but when twenty one, when I turned twenty one, is when I walked out, talked to the pastor. We walked through the steps, and and I started moving forward from there. Yeah, your wife Pauline, you've been married what? Uh, how many 20, years? Twenty nine years. Twenty nine years. Amazing. So she really walked that uh, naval life with you, you know, the entire yes, time. When when did you meet Pauline? I met her in nineteen. Wow, I got to go back to some time here. <laughs> I believe nineteen ninety four. Uh, her dad was in the military. Uh, crazy story about that. Her dad and my uncle were both stationed together. They were both lieutenants. Uh, they were both limited duty officers, LDOs, and they were stationed in Guam. Like we said earlier, we were talking about Guam. They were stationed in Guam together. So when I went to her house the first night, we were talking. I was talking to him, and he said, uh, do you have an uncle? I said, uh, it was in the Navy. I said, yes, sir. Was his name Sonny? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and my heart dropped. I was like, oh, because oh. you had to know my uncle. He was kind of <laughs> he was kind of wild, but uh I said, well, I hope that's not a strike against me. He said, no, I love Sonny. I said, well, I love him too. <laughs> so uh, You knew it was safe to say that you had a good relationship we, at that point. Yeah. Yes, sir, we did. We had a great relationship after that. 
So oh. I'm very thankful for that. Oh, I bet you are. Wow. And God has blessed you with three boys, a daughter, and you have a daughter-in-law now. Yes, sir. My daughter-in-law and my oldest son, they are expecting their first child anytime now. I, I, I told them, I said, look, I'm, I'm preaching a grandparent sermon <laughs> this past Sunday. I said, whatever you do. Don't have the baby till after that. I don't want to be a grandparent preaching to myself. <laughs> so this is your first? Yes, sir. Oh, congratulations. Well, I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. That's so exciting to have. I've got three of them. There's oh, nothing wow. like it'll change your life. That's you what know, everybody tells that's me. That's going to be your highest calling. There's nothing you did in the military. You'll be as honorable and as yes, great sir. as being a grandparent. And, and we do salute you for your service well, I appreciate for it. what you did for us and protecting our freedom and rights yes. as Americans. And so you've been here at Boulevard Baptist Church for how long? Uh, November makes five years. Okay. Yes, sir. And originally you were at Grace Baptist Church in Tiffin, Ohio. Yes, sir. Now, how did you move up there? Well, it's a funny story about that. I, I actually retired out of Millington, uh, went from the Navy, so after 26 years. And then when I when retired in 14, 2014, uh, went to Mid-America for my uh, Master in Divinity. And the pastor was actually up there, was a retired Marine. They never quit. They're always they're just retired. Uh, he came down to the seminary when I graduated, and he started asking around, do you know anybody that would like to move that was retired military? Uh, because, again, it's uh, you've probably heard that there's not a lot of Baptist churches up there, and he was the founding pastor of the church. And so there wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of things like that. So he was trying to help them out by finding somebody who had medical and dental. I know it's crazy, but finding somebody yes. who had their own medical and dental so that it could offset the cost of uh, for the church itself. But I believe uh, I believe God opened that door for me. I, I told my Sunday school class when I used to go to church there in Millington that uh, wherever the Lord sends me, I will go. Uh, never did I imagine it would be Ohio because I am not an Ohio State fan, <laughs> and they all run around with their Ohio State flags, uh, especially being a Georgia Bulldog fan. But uh, uh, the Lord moved me up there, and it was just it was just amazing time up there and. But, you know, I'm thankful that God opened the door for us to come back here. Was there anybody at that time, maybe one particular person when you moved up there, that you learned about walking with Jesus? You know, maybe somebody stood out to you or maybe encouraged you in the work as you moved up there. I mean, there could have been many, but was, right. is there any standout? Anybody? And it's hard to name names sometimes, I know, but in that experience. For me, it's a little bit different. Uh, being in the military, I was always gone from my family. I mean, we were always gone. And the submarines that I was on, it was a two-crew submarine, so we'd be gone for 60, 70, 80 days at a time. And then when we moved to Millington, uh, went to Iraq for seven months. And you know, and I never had a chance to spend time with my family. So for us, going to Ohio was an opportunity for us to connect as a family. Even though my two oldest sons were here at the University of Memphis, it was a time for the other two and my wife for us to really bond as a family. And then when we, um, as a pastor at the church, we were able to uh, connect with um, – one couple, a godly couple, we're very thankful for them, Mr. Bill, Miss Charlotte. Um, they they were they helped us in our walk, and we're they're an older couple, and we're thankful for the example they set for us, and um, and how we were uh, able just to learn underneath them. Yeah, and I say that, Pastor, because pastors need encouragement too. Yes, sir. It can be a lonely place, right? Yes, yes, it can. I don't say this negatively, but I, to be honest with you, sometimes. You get hurt in ministry. I, I've, like I said, I did 26 years of military, and and just in my seven years of ministry, I've been hurt more in ministry than I did 26 years in the military. And sometimes, you know, we as, as Christians can be our own worst people. And uh, so you you have to have that couple. You have to have that that those people that you can yes. help you walk yes. through these times. 
I was listening to Chuck Swindoll this morning, you know, and he was just talking about, as you know, as you age, listen more, judge less. He just had some good reminders of how we need to walk in the Lord and toward each other, you yes, know? Sir. We sometimes are our own worst enemies as Christians, and yes, we sir. are brothers and sisters of the same Heavenly Father. Yes, sir. So did you have any interest as a child, like fishing, sports? Well, being from Georgia, being from the country, loved to fish, loved to hunt, loved to be outdoors. Uh, yeah. So that was my that was my thing when I was young. Yeah. Now you mentioned too that your father was in the Navy and of course traveled a lot. Do you have good memories growing up with your dad? Did he have time that he did spend with you? Oh yes, sir. Uh, he, he retired after thirty years. Uh, so every time he was home, he was you know family was the most important thing. So he spent time with us. We did a lot of things together. We used to go fishing to the coast. We go hunting and we just interact together as a family. But but also for me. Uh, that's where the rest of his family was from. And so extended family was so important to me, still important to me today that, you know, they, I don't want to say pick up the slack, but in a way they pick up the slack when he wasn't there. They they helped take care of me and my brother and my sister. So, you know, again, very fortunate, small town, uh, very, I, I loved it. You yeah. know, it was a great place to grow up, great to be around family. Yeah. So that was after, I guess, you went to college. You stayed there in Georgia? Well, I, I actually didn't go to college then. I went uh, straight out of high school. I went to the Navy. You I, went straight I, into the Navy? Yes, sir. Okay. going to the Navy right after high school. So it really wasn't until you finished the Navy career that you got your college education or, or well, while you were uh, in the Navy? Well, I was, when I was in the Navy, when I, when, I, when I came to Millington, I understood that I needed a bachelor's because it would open doors. And uh, so I, I have my HR management degree. Uh, my bachelor, and then when I was teaching Sunday school class, I had some class. Uh, some of my people I knew that said, "Hey, you know what? You need to get a, get a master's. It'll help you out." And so I did a, a master's in Christian studies from Union. And lo and behold, uh, after I retired from the Navy, I went to Mid America and had my uh, master in divinity. Never in the world did I believe that I ever think that I would be in this situation. Well, what about that call that you really sensed? God wants me to be a pastor. I would say when I was younger in, in Georgia at my home church, uh, one of the uh, one of our Mr. Rogers told me he said one day I'm gonna I'm gonna see you preach and you know I never believed that. Let me just tell you this story real quick. When I came back from Iraq, I was very gung ho. I wanted to do the things. I advanced from chief to senior chief E8, and I put in for a warrant officer board once, and I put in for a second time. And I think God really opened my eyes then. During this board, I didn't get selected for warrant officer, but during this board, when they were doing the debrief afterwards, uh, one of the uh, lieutenants told me, he said, Senior, you missed your call. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you you should have been a chaplain. I was actually telling somebody yesterday a story. I wasn't happy to hear that. Uh, You know, to be on submarines, to be in the Navy, it's very prideful. You know, you, you, you set yourself up to do these things and then hear somebody come back and say, you needed to be a chaplain. I was not very happy with this comment. <laughs> but I will tell you, God used that to open my eyes and then confirmation at the church that this is the route that he wanted me to go. So when I was getting near retirement, my wife's only known military. Her dad was in the military. I was in the military. My dad was in the military. So to step out and to step away from a, a civil servant job to go into ministry, was it was a step out on faith for us. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, let's go back to that life on submarine. You said duty sometimes would take you out to sea 60, 70 days at a time? On a Trident submarine, uh, there's two crews, and uh, I was usually on the blue crew. Once the submarine came in, once the gold crew came in, we had about roughly, these are all just generic numbers, but we had about a four-day turnover. So they would turn the submarine over to us. We would accept it. And then we'd go into what we call a refit period, and that would usually run about 30 days. And then once we got underway, 
on our patrol, they ran anywhere from 50 to 70 days. That's what our cycle was. Usually it was a 112-day cycle. So we had it for 112 days. We'd come back in, turn it over to the gold crew. They'd have it for 112 days. So that's yeah. what a cycle looked like. What does a uh, life for a Christian who wants to be committed to Christ look like living on a submarine? It's it's not easy. Um, I, will, I will say that. It's not easy. It's a... Uh, you have to find like-minded people, like people like faith. Uh, the, the, the good thing about a Trident submarine, we really didn't pull in anywhere. There was For us, there was no temptation. At the time, there were no women on submarines, so we didn't have that temptation. It was just guys. But, you know, guys are guys, and we would do some crazy stuff. That's what he said. Yeah. But, you know, you had those who had who were Christians also, and we would have services um, underway on a Sunday. I was actually— on two different submarines, I was the Protestant lay leader. You had a Protestant lay leader and a Catholic lay leader. We didn't rate a chaplain on board a submarine, so I was a Protestant lay leader for uh, two different submarines. So in a direct way, you were a chaplain. <laughs> in a way, yes, sir. In a way, I was. So you, you have served. Did you have Bible studies? Yes, sir. We had Bible studies on Sunday, and uh, you were the interface between the captain and the crew on, on religious matters. So I had a captain come up before, and he said, look, I want you to tell me if we have these certain type of peoples on board. Um, that had a different background, you know, things like that. He said to be listening out for these kind of things. So you interface with the captain for the crew, for the spiritual well-being of the crew. Uh, I don't know if you ever read the book. It's called There's No Such Thing as a, An Atheist in a Foxhole. Yeah. Uh, there's no such thing as an atheist underway when things get rough because yeah. people know. They know there's just something greater than self. And when it really gets hard, they're going to turn to somebody to talk about spiritual matters because we know everybody knows internally inside we're all built to know that there is a god yes so everybody looks forward to that pastor eddie i know too you are working on is it your phd i was working on my doctorate okay your doctorate yes sir how do you do that i'm a lay person so well, what does it mean to work on your doctorate <laughs> uh i had to take a break right now so i'm in the process of working <laughs> on it i had to take a break because when I moved to Millington in 2007, uh, 2006, 2007, I went to Iraq. When I came back, I started working on my bachelor's, and then I worked on my master's. And then when I got out of the Navy, I worked on my master in divinity. That takes a lot of time away from your family. I, I've had to stop right now so I can spend more time with my family. My daughter was getting ready to graduate. My son, before he went to the Air Force, he was getting ready to graduate. So I needed to concentrate on them. So it's a challenge. And, I, and I'm for those who can do it with family, I, I applaud them for it. But I had to take a little breaks to spend some time with family. Now with a grandchild coming, that's a— you got to take breaks for those grandkids, too. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. I, I think that's so important that you do prioritize your family. And I know so many pastors, the pressure is so great. Yes. And family is—there is no family life. And it's such a sad story, and it's so important to prioritize the family. What do you enjoy most about being a pastor now? What do I enjoy? That's a great question. I mean, there's so there's so much. Okay, so don't, don't please don't take it that you know no, it's no. just hard. But uh, there's so much. I mean, it's just leading people, uh, presenting the gospel to them, uh, helping them in their walk. I mean, I, I believe that's how God has prepared me for the position I am today. Yes. Uh, by my time in the military, you know, I, I was a I was a worker, and then I became a supervisor, and then I had to train those. So even in the church today, uh, I've taken that role being a worker. But transformed it over now to the, 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 I guess in a way, supervisor training those below me. Uh, one of the things we always talked about in the Navy: train your relief, and and I believe that wholeheartedly. In the church, all of us, we have to train our relief. And if we're not training those that are coming behind us, who's going to take our spots? 
who's going to be those that's going to be the leaders within our community as far as the Christian leaders. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make that. So for me, I I love that aspect of it. I love being able to walk with people in their walk to help them become the leaders that God has called them to be. Oh, my. So when does the Boulevard Baptist Church in South Haven meet? And where exactly is the church? No, we're on... uh, Ironically, we're on a church road <laughs> right down from the Tanger Outlet Mall. Um, we're on the east side of uh, I-55. We meet Sundays. Uh, you know, we have a normal Sunday school, normal service in the uh, morning. We run a single service. In the evening time, uh, we meet uh, for um, a WANA, the WANA program for our kids. And one of the things that I, I wanted to do is, as I talk to our group, we have a, a demographics, the most overlooked demographic in the church in general, as far as I'm concerned. We like to say kids, we like to say uh, different um, uh, singles and young adults, but the reality is our senior adults are the most overlooked group in the church. We just expect them to be there, we expect them to tithe, we expect them to work, but the reality is they're the most overlooked group as far as I'm concerned. So we're actually gonna start a service up in October, we call it the primetime hour, it's open to anybody, but my, my, my goal is to really reach our senior adults because a lot of churches are going away from the Sunday evening service, and I'm experiencing this now as I've turned over the age of 50. Uh, it's getting hard to drive at nighttime. Yeah. And, I, you know, when I was in Ohio, now being down here, a lot of our senior adults tell me, I'd like to come back, but I just don't like driving at night. So we want to have a second service for them on Sunday night, plus our WANA program, and then we also do Wednesday night uh, for a Bible study. Tuesday night we do a prayer time to uh, just – pray for our nation, pray for the church. So that's usually our schedule. You touched on something I kind of want to pick back up on, too, about prioritizing service to a demographic that you feel like in the church has been overlooked, and it's our senior adults. Yes, sir. Those who, as you worded, expect it to be there and be involved because they're retired or they've got the time. But you see a special need to lift them up and to encourage them. Yes, sir. That's just one of the things that we have to deal with as far as uh, the church, that we—, we we can't overlook those who have been so faithful, those who have done so much for the church, those who have spent their life. Uh, you know, one thing I like to say is, uh, guys, that's our tithers. You count on them because they're so faithful, not only in their walk, but they're faithful in their tithing. They're faithful in their uh, their service to the church, a service to the Lord, uh, because you can depend on them. And we just cannot just leave them and, and just walk away from them, it, just expecting them to do things. We have to be there with them to help walk through these situations. Yes. Are, are you seeing in the ministry too, Eddie, where older members who have been walking with Christ for longer years, or as the Scripture says, the you know older men, women teaching younger men and women, are you seeing them pour into the younger members of the congregation? Or how do you as a pastor help encourage that? Well, as I said this last week you know, during my, uh, my pre- before the grandparents' sermon that I, I preached, as I told our, our seniors, I said, look, your grandparents, every, everything comes from you, you know, because we have a, we have a generation, probably, probably the last two generations, that parents uh, uh, fathers are absent, and the grandparents are the, the steady source of uh, leadership within the family. Again, like I said, I come from a big family, and I, I love family. And so we have to have the seniors there. And so are we seeing it? Yes. And for me, that was one of the reasons I was pushing for the, the children's program that we're doing now on Sunday nights, the Awana program, because our senior adults can be that leadership to those who maybe don't have a father at home. They don't have a Christian uh, family life. Uh, as I tell people all the time, you want us to be your babysitters. I'm okay with that. Let us be your babysitters. Let us let us pour into your kids 
Because if we're not pouring into them, the TV's pouring into them, yeah. the, the, the whatever else, uh, games are pouring into yeah. them, yeah. we need that 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 senior leadership. Oh, that's so true. You know, Pastor Eddie, you said, too, that these past seven years in ministry for you have really been, in comparison to the Navy, after 26 years, some of the most painful years, you know, yes, that you've had to, you know, to deal with. And there is also not only the, the physical battle, but there's a spiritual battle, yes, you know, that's part of that, I'm sure, and I know to be true. What would you hope that a first-time visitor to Boulevard would experience when they come to the church? You've probably heard this statement a million times. You know, you want them to experience the love of Christ, first of all. Let them know that they're welcome. They're, they're part of a body. Uh, you know, but also, I would like to tell them that, you know, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. Somebody might make you mad. But you don't stop going to Walmart because somebody makes you mad. You still go. Uh, so it's the same thing with the church. Don't don't take one bad experience and walk away and say, oh, I'm never going back. Let the Lord lead you in your walk. Uh, so I always tell people, look, if it's not Boulevard, go to another church. Find the one that God has called you to be in and do what he has called you to do. Be faithful to wherever he's got you. Yes. And uh, just, just we, we need workers in the church. I mean, we need bodies to be able to spread the gospel, to be out in the field, to do the work that he's called us to do. Oh, amen. God bless you. Eddie Barlow, pastor at Boulevard Baptist Church in South Haven. Thank you so much, my dear brother, for sharing your heart with us about the ministry at Boulevard. And God bless you and your ministry. Thanks for stopping by. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for joining us here on the Bot Radio Network. Bye-bye. With a woman to look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. The same day Hamas militants murdered thousands of innocent men, women, and children, over 30 Harvard University student groups signed a statement of solidarity, not with the victims in Israel, but with the militants. Quote, we the undersigned student organizations hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame, they wrote. And in response, the Harvard administration was deafeningly silent for days, only after 500 faculty and 3,000 university affiliates condemned the statement, did leadership issue their tepid response, which it has since attempted to clarify. And even worse, their moral inability stood in contrast to even Playboy magazine, who promptly cut ties with adult film star Mia Khalifa for statements that celebrated Hamas's attack. You know things are upside down in education when an adult magazine reaches the kind of moral clarity that a preeminent institution of higher learning cannot. That some student groups finally backtrack, saying they never read the statement in the first place, just exposes how broken their moral reasoning is. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street.